Thursday night at Regal Cinemas right over here on Foster's Drive. We're going to go to the movies together. We invite you to join us uh, maybe early uh, to get your popcorn and Coke, and the movie starts at 7. Now, last week we put an invitation in your hand, and we're going to do that again this week. If you want one at the end of service, you're going to be invited to come up and grab one. It's simply Woodlawn and has the information on the back. Now, if you're going to get the discount and, and on Thursday night for Harvest Point, you've got to tell them you're with Harvest Point, all right? And I'm going to put that right here. We'll have those at the end of service. Now, last week, um, we were also inviting you to invite folks to Fall Festival that's 13 days away. So there's an invitation for that. And we also put an invitation for the new series that we're starting next weekend called Is There Hope for America? And then the last invitation that we put out last week that, we, that were gone quickly, I realize that's why we're putting them out again this week, was just an invitation, a simple invitation, to have coffee with somebody, to give to a coworker, to give a friend and say, hey, Join me for a cup of coffee, and let's talk. Now, why are we giving out invitations? Two weeks ago, I started a series called The Invitational Life, and we've been talking about the Christ life is supposed to be a life that's not a come and see life, not a come to me life. It's actually a sent life. We were told that we were to go out, and so on week number one, we studied from Acts 13. You remember that? That story, that God moment in, uh, in, in the book of Acts, kind of right in the middle of the book of Acts where Paul went to church one day, he went to the synagogue, and while he was there, they said, hey, since special person's here, you got a word, he stood up and preached, and in that town, it was such a powerful message, only, only about 150, 200 people were present in church that day, they said, hang out, stay with us one more week, next Sunday, be with us, and the whole town showed up, about 50,000 people they had to move it over the amphitheater, and we talked about how how, how, how could that happen? How could 150 people, 200 people, go out and reach that many thousand people? They had to be excited about the message. It had to be a God thing that they were sharing the good news. And we talked about what does it really mean to live the sent life, to live an invitational life where, where we are telling his story, we're telling his story, what he's done in us. We are the sent ones, and we're not hiding it. We are living out the flame, the light that God's called us to. That was week number one. Now, week number two, I, I took you to Romans. We studied Romans chapter 10 and that wonderful scripture that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I ask you, how big, how wide, how expansive is your everyone, or is it just some narrow thing like only the people that look like me, only the people that vote like me, only the people who think like me, or is it really everyone. And Jesus told these parables over and over again, trying to get people to expand their everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And I threw out some seeds and we scattered some seeds right last week. We did get them cleaned up. And, um, and, and I taught you a little simple phrase. Do you remember it? Because I asked you to memorize it, hold on to it. I'd love it if you memorize it for the rest of your life because it's blessed me. And the phrase is very simple. Look for the good, look for the need, Invite someone to come and see. Come and see what you've seen that God's doing. And look for the good, look for the need. Invite someone to come and see. That little phrase reminds me when I walk into a coffee shop, I'm looking for the good, not the bad, because I'm, I'm a follower of the good. And I'm, I'm supposed to, I'm, I live in a culture where I'm supposed to point out the good and say, look, there's a good God. Look for the need. There are people hurting everywhere. Man, I had so many of you last week say, you know what? That, that thing you said about the eyes, if you can, you know, the eyes don't lie. It's always in their eyes. That's my life. I've seen it. My coworker's there right now. You know, you see need all around you. Invite someone to come and see. Now, this is uh, the third week. This is the conclusion of the series where we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me, if you will. Get your Bible. Hopefully, you got your technology device, your iPad, your iPhone, your Android, whatever it is. I want, you, I want to invite you 
to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to dive into a, a, what I think is a brilliant teaching from the Apostle Paul, okay? I look at it thousands of years later, and I go, God, I don't think he was just this clever. I don't think he was just this smart. That's you, Holy Spirit. You're the one who gave this to Paul, because how could it have been so right, so on for that culture? And here we are thousands of years later, and it's so right and so dead on for our culture. And I think you're going to get it. But before we do that, hey, I like to always start our study of, of God's Word by just opening up with a prayer of openness. So would you do that with me this morning? And here's the deal. Why don't you just say to, to God, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me? What truth, what understanding, what shaping, what bending, what molding do you have for me? You know what we believe? We believe in a God who gives a corporate word to his body, but we also believe in God who gives in a personal word to his body. We call those, the Greek word, rhema word, a personal word. God, what is the rhema word you have for me today, for my life? And if God spoke a truth into you today, if God planted a seed, if he scattered a seed into your life, would you be open to be good soil and let it bear good fruit in your life? Pray with me, if you will. Let's pray together. God, we believe that you are the way you are the truth, and you are the life. And we really, we really have never found that to be any different. Every time we find truth, it's in you. Every time we found our way back and our way home, it's through you. And so today, I ask you, Lord, let your seed be planted in us, an eternal word. In the next few minutes, we're going to open up the Bible, which we believe is truth and life. And Lord, we're going to ask you to let your word bear fruit in our lives. So as the word is planted in us, Lord. I just pray a prayer for us, of each one of us, openness, good soil of our heart. Plant it deep, and Lord, let it bear fruit, fruit that lasts, eternal fruit. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. I'm gonna, it's a very short verse with you, and it's so short that I'm going to get you to read it out loud with me, okay? I like these moments where we kind of say, hey, full voice, let's all say it together. So we're going to put it up on the screen there, and full voice with me, read that out loud together. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If you have your pen there, I want to get you to underline a word that has just been haunting me ever since I began studying this passage weeks ago. And that's the word ambassadors. Underline that real quickly. Ambassadors. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have never met a foreign ambassador personally. I've seen them on TV. I I know their names uh, in different places. But I think a lot of our ambassadors, we don't even know who they are, you know. But that word ambassador, Paul was writing to some people in Corinth. And he said, we, he didn't say you, he said together we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. I want you to think today with me about what it means to be an ambassador, okay? Now, I put in your outline there the definition of an ambassador, and I I, kind of actually pulled this together from Webster's and a couple of other sites, but they all are are pretty much the same. The definition of an ambassador is simply this. It is a high-ranking diplomat that was sent out to represent their country in a foreign land. As a matter of fact, since we've been talking about that sent life, why don't you just underline those two words, sent out, okay? An ambassador is sent out, a high-ranking diplomat that is sent out to represent their country in a foreign land. Now, that's interesting because Paul says 
That's who we are. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, what exactly does that mean? So when I started thinking about an ambassador, here's kind of what I, I was able to, to pull away from that definition. An ambassador is a, a person who is living a sent life. They are sent out of their country to go live into a foreign land. Now, what's interesting about an ambassador is you don't vote an ambassador in, okay? They are appointed or they are chosen by a king or a president or whatever kind of government. They are appointed or they are chosen, and then they are, they are sent. Actually, they're actually commissioned. I was studying it this week. They are commissioned first, and then they are sent out to go represent that country in a foreign land. In essence, the ambassador becomes the mouthpiece in living in the country for the nation that they represent. And what are, they, what, are they, what, are they, what are they representing there? Well, they're representing the beliefs of their country, the values of their country. They're representing the interests of their country while they're living in a foreign place. So I started thinking about me. I put a little box in your outline there, and I just thought about me. What if I became the ambassador, I don't think it's going to happen, to uh, Nicaragua, okay? Nicaragua is one of the, I, I just picked Nicaragua. We're going to put a big box. Go ahead, Tom, put that up there. Um, I'm a U.S. citizen. I have to be a U.S. citizen or to be an ambassador, okay? I'm a U.S. citizen, and then I would be sent to a country. The reason I picked Nicaragua is because every year we do, we do missions in Nicaragua. We send teams down to Nicaragua. Well, what if I became the, the ambassador of the U.S. to Nicaragua? What would I be doing there? And I, and I thought about three words, and I put them there in your outline. There's, there's kind of a three-word job description for an ambassador. And the first one is this. I would be there to represent the United States. So I, I needed to be a good representative of the United States every day in that place when I was in Nicaragua. The second thing is I would be there to build relationships with the people of Nicaragua for the United States, right? And the third one is if there was some type of tension or if there was some type of friction, some problem between the U.S. and Nicaragua, man, it would be important to me to be able to be a reconciler in that situation. That's the kind of role of an ambassador for us as a country. High-ranking diplomats sent out to represent and speak for their country in a foreign land. Now, here's the question I had. I started thinking about who is like the best U.S. ambassador? Who in the history of the United States has been our best person who is an ambassador? And scholars kind of all agree, comes down to one person. Do you recognize that picture? You got that guy? Yeah, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, you ought to see him. He's on our money, right? Benjamin Franklin. He, uh, scholars agree that Benjamin Franklin was probably the best U.S. ambassador ever. And here's why. I want you to get this picture. I'll tell you a little, real quickly, history lesson. But out of the history lesson, you, you and I can learn why this guy was such a great U.S. ambassador. Six months Six months after the Declaration of Independence, when we said, hey, we want to be our own country, six months later, December 1776, the United States, uh, we, we need to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to get some help to win, because we know that our mother country, England, ain't going to just let us leave them, okay? And there are two major superpowers at the time on the planet, and the two superpowers are England and France. And by the way, they're ruled by two different monarchies, and they don't like each other, all right? And there's tension between them. And the leaders of our country knew that we needed France in order to be able to survive and win the Revolutionary War, the war that 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 was imminent. And so our leaders got together, and they asked themselves the question, 
who would be the best person to send to France to get them on our side. And after thinking about it and talking about it, they picked this guy. They said Benjamin Franklin. So they send Benjamin Franklin to France to be the ambassador for the United States, the new United States of America. Now, it's interesting, in the room that of the guys who picked Benjamin Franklin, he wasn't the best dressed of just the guys in the room, much less in France where they dressed all frilly frilly, right? I mean, he went over to France, and he was the worst dressed of anybody in any room. But what's interesting about Benjamin Franklin is, you may or may not know this, Benjamin Franklin was a very humble man, a very, very intelligent man, but a very humble man. So when he moves to France, he doesn't live in Paris or Versailles, you know, like everybody else says. You know what he does? He lives in a little, little small town outside of Paris, and he goes in and lives in that place, and instead of trying to make his political context right away, he realizes he doesn't know two things. He doesn't know how to speak their language, and he doesn't know how, how they think very well, and he doesn't want to assume that French people think like American people. So he does two things. While he's living in that little small town, he begins to learn French, and he gets a little tutor, and all day, every day, hours upon hours, he begins to learn French. And then the second thing he begins to study on his own is how the French people reason and how they, they have this art of persuasion. And then when it's time, he begins to go and establish relationships, talk politically about, uh, about what our needs are and represent the United States of America. Now, this is interesting. He was not the best dressed guy. He was not the... He, he, was, he was not a guy who readily, easily spoke their language, but here's the truth. The French people fell in love with Benjamin Franklin. They liked him because he was humble. They liked him because he was smart. But they, the scholars say they especially liked the questions that he posed about what would happen if they stood with a new country against England. And you know what scholars say? Scholars say there's no way the United States of America would have won the Revolutionary War if it weren't for France coming to our side. And there's no way France would have come to our side if it weren't for Benjamin Franklin. When Benjamin Franklin left France, you know what he left with? He left with two things that I don't even think many people would have ever dreamed he could have left with. One thing, he left with the French. They had committed their money to us. They were going to support us with money. And the second thing they said they were going to support us with were troops. They were going to come and fight alongside us. Now, what's interesting is if you go to France today, they still love him, which is crazy. As if you ask a, a French person walking down the street, they'll say, Benjamin Franklin, yeah, he was the greatest U.S. president ever. He was never a president. He was never even a president, but they love him. Why? Because he made such an incredible impression. He was a good ambassador. He was smart, wise, humble. He was a reconciler in the midst of tension. Now, that got me to thinking, what is it that makes an ambassador good or great? And what is it that makes an ambassador not so good or really rough at their job? And, and I put you some blanks there, and I just want to write down some things that I, I started gathering as I started looking at good ambassadors and their traits and bad ambassadors. So on that good list, let's talk about that first. A few adjectives that can, I think, describe good ambassadors. And the first one is this, loyal. Loyal, write that in there on that first blank, loyal. A good ambassador is loyal to the country that he's coming from. He, he, he doesn't have fickle emotions. He's very loyal, and he believes in the, in the mission and the vision of his own country. The second thing is they're passionate. 
they, they're passionate as they go in to represent their country in that foreign land. They, they care, so to speak. That's the, the heart of that word, passion. They care. You know, we'd be in a rough shape if we put an ambassador in place, they went to a foreign country, and they didn't even care about the United States of America. Don't you agree? So they care. They're passionate. Here's a third one. They're humble. Great ambassadors, good ambassadors are humble. You know, the root of that word humble comes from the idea of good soil. It means that they are listeners. They, 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 are, they are humble in their, in their ideas and in their willingness to communicate. Here's another one. They're wise. Good or great ambassadors are wise, meaning that when you go into a different culture, there will be different customs, and you need to be mindful that there are going to be people different from you. But it also means there's a level of sensitivity to the difference in me and you and the culture that I'm a part of and your culture. And I like to think of it when it comes to that word wise. How about this? A good ambassador or a great ambassador, they just know their stuff. They know their stuff when it comes to their country and in that foreign country and what the best interests are of their country in that foreign country. And here's another one, another adjective. Write this one down. They are reconcilers, and meaning that a good ambassador or a great ambassador when there is tension or there is friction between two countries, they are the people who I like to think of it this way. They're not afraid of tension. They're not afraid of conflict. They understand their role is to help mediate two people, two countries, two entities that are differing from each other and make them one. Help them come together. That's the goal of a good ambassador. Now, what is it that makes a bad ambassador? What is it that, that when an ambassador goes to represent a country, they just do a terrible job? Write this one in. Uh, one of the words is they're hypocritical, meaning that that word literally comes from, from the idea of a duplicity. They say one thing here, they say another thing over there. They're, 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 they're kind of liars, you know. They, they're, they're, they've got wear, they wear masks. They're not the same person in both places. They look different, you know, and they've got different personalities, so to speak. And you don't want an ambassador who says something here and then says something different over there. You want them to be a person of, of truth. Here's another one, indifferent. A bad ambassador... A terrible, I'm going to give you an example. A terrible ambassador is an indifferent ambassador. In the early 1970s, for example, the United States had uh, our ambassador to Nicaragua. When he went to Nicaragua, he actually uh, constructed a home that became the home of every future ambassador there in Nicaragua. But he lived in this palace of a house next to all these other little shacks in Nicaragua. Well, the people didn't really, didn't really quite take to that, but that wasn't a big deal until a, a terrible earthquake hit the country of Nicaragua, and many people died, and many people were in need of hospitalization. And some of the people of Nicaragua came to him, and they asked him, his house was so massive, is there a way that we could use your house as a place of triage, kind of like a makeshift hospital to take care of our people? And you know what his response was? His response was, this is government property of the United States. I, I can't let people be in this house that are from Nicaragua. He said, no. You see that word indifferent? In the middle of their crisis, this person was indifferent to their needs. How about write this one down? Also, I think a bad ambassador is, is one who is pompous or one who is pretentious, one who is, has a superiority complex. Not only did the people of Nicaragua grow to hate our U.S. ambassador in that early part of the 1970s, but two years after the earthquake, let me tell you what happened. His wife, the ambassador's wife, she had about five cats, and one of her cats got deathly ill, and she loved her cats. And the U.S. ambassador wanted to see if he could help the cat survive, so he flew in 
veterinarian specialists from all over the world trying to save the cat. The cat eventually died, okay? But when all the people of Nicaragua found out that he was flying in people to take care of his cat in the very house where he wouldn't even let them house their wounded from a terrible earthquake, can you imagine the superiority they felt like this guy had over them? They hated it. It took years for us to finally repair the relationships that were broken because of one bad ambassador that we sent to the country of Nicaragua. Write this one down. Not just pretentious, reckless. I think you're a bad ambassador when you're reckless. When you, uh, when you with your words, with your actions, with your beliefs, you forget your role. You forget that your role is to represent something bigger than you, to represent something that is, that, is, that is larger than you, and you start doing your own thing. And that's not what we want an ambassador, just to do their own thing when we send them off to a foreign country. And then how about this one? Write this one down. I think a terrible ambassador can even be oppressive. They can get a power addiction. They can get all about themselves, and they can go into that place. And, you know, and I started thinking, look at that list real quickly. I started thinking about what would happen. Go back to me, right? What if I was sent to Nicaragua? And what if, what if I got over there and I forgot about why I was sent, all the good things, loyal, passionate, humble, wise, reconciler, and I started doing all these other things. I started being a person who would just do it my way and living for me. Great vacation. I'm close to the beach. You know, thank you, President, for sending me over here. And what if I became a terrible, terrible ambassador in that place? That would be, that would be the horror of why I had been sent there in the first place. Now, here's what I want you to get. Let's make the leap. Think, think, think with me, okay? In the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes these people in Corinth. He writes them, and he says those words we read just a few minutes ago. You are, you are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal. Now, what he's saying, this is interesting, he's saying this to people who live in a town called Corinth, okay? Now, Corinth in that day was like Vegas in our day, okay? Corinth was a place filled with people. People from all over the place would pour into Corinth just to see Corinth. Now, they didn't have all the shining lights of Vegas, but what they did have, well, they had altars and temples and all these neo-Gothic construction things they were doing to gods and goddesses. Corinth was an epicenter of perversion. I mean, sexuality stuff started happening, and it got loosey and goosey, and I mean, it was bad, bad, bad news in Corinth. As a matter of fact, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. That's right. All right? Corinth was a bad place. And what I want you to get is Paul knows that God is planting a church in the middle of that perversion, that brokenness, that 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 place, and there's a new church. Can you get the picture? In all the darkness of Corinth, there's a light. There's a light. There's going to be a light of the gospel of Christ right in the middle of it. And Paul is writing to them, and he says, listen. And I love this because I just, again, I don't think this is Paul being clever. I don't think he's smart enough. I don't think he's, I think the Holy Spirit gives him an idea, and the Holy Spirit says, tell him this. He says, you are ambassadors for Jesus in that place. Now, let's back up a few scriptures and really get what they might have, how they might have heard it, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
verse 17, I want you to hear Paul's writing to them. I think the Holy Spirit is talking to these people about where they are living in this Vegas-like place. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if any of you are in Christ, listen to these words, the new creation has come. Now, I imagine some of these people had done some dark, bad things, you know. They hadn't been just born and, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't been visitors to Corinth. They were born there, right? And I bet they had done some things. I bet they had been broken. I bet there had been labels put on them. And you know what he says? He said, if you're now in Christ, you're a new creation. He said, you're, you're, everything's been made right. All those labels, all that brokenness, all that perversion that you were part of before, God has washed it away through Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. And I like this, the old, that old stuff you used to do, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And I like these words, you might want to underline them. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember what I said about an ambassador? An ambassador is not voted in, he, is, he or she is appointed, commissioned, they are selected, and then they are sent. And he says to them, listen, if any of you guys are in Christ, remember all that stuff you used to do? Listen, it's dead, it's gone, it's old news. Now, here's the deal. You, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Newness of life has come to you. All the brokenness, the labels are gone. And guess what? He's chosen you. He's selected you. He's appointed you to be a minister of reconciliation. He's telling them about the set life, right? He's telling them about the invitational life. Now listen to this. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He says you're going to be going out and telling people that story. And then I like this. He says, and he has committed to us The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I'm going to go back to my box for a minute, okay? I told you about me being a U.S. citizen, being sent to Nicaragua. All of a sudden, this is what the people of Corinth are thinking, all right? They get this thing. They say, okay, wait a minute. I have been a citizen, but now I'm a different type of citizen. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. All right? I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's who I am. Put my box up there, Tom. Let's go. But you got it in front of you? I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, this is kind of like, this, to them, they're reading this letter. It's kind of like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not that I fly a flag of a country higher than anything else anymore. It's not that I, I say a pledge of allegiance higher than this anymore. Who I am now is above that. It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. I'm not not just a a, a citizen of this kingdom or that kingdom, this this society or that society. I am am a citizen of the commonwealth of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of the commonwealth of heaven. That's who I am. And guess what? He made me that way, new. And here's the idea. He's going to send me. Where's he going to send me? He's going to send me out into the world, into this earth that we live in. He's going to send me out into a place like Corinth? Yes. He's going to send me out into a place like Vegas? Yes. He's going to send me into a place like Henry County or Atlanta, Georgia? Yes. He's going to send me into that place. It's kind of like this. Why am I on the planet? You're here for a reason. Why am I, why am I here? Paul's saying, guess what? You didn't even know you were going to be selected, but you are an ambassador. You are there to represent Jesus. 
How cool is that? So now we get those little bullet points in the very bottom there. I'm representing Jesus. I'm building relationships. And guess what? The tension that is there between the things that are not of the kingdom of God and the things of of the kingdom of God, between people who are far away from God and people who are with God, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to address those tensions. I'm supposed to talk about those things. I'm supposed to help that friction be resolved. And I'm supposed to make the two one Bring them into the kingdom. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, if you could gather this, if you could get this, you would understand what you've been called to be in destiny as a person on a sent life, on the invitational life. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Everybody with me? Get it? Got it? Good. All right. Now, here's what I, here's what, I was sitting there thinking this week. Woo, that's big. If we really grab this, like those people of Corinth, they were, they were being told, they were, they've been, and that's big. Because, see, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't, right? And there are some times that I think to myself, hmm, I think I just want to take a day off today from being an ambassador. You ever been there before? I mean, today, I don't want to quite, why do I, why's everybody got to look at me like I'm the ambassador for Jesus today, right? I mean, don't you think ambassadors sometimes feel that way? Like, they just want to do their own thing for that day. Just take a day off, take a playoff. Coach, can I take this playoff? I'm a little tired, you know. Can I get a little break? Can I have a little me time? See, that's the problem for the people in Corinth. Because they're getting this news and they're going, wow, this is awesome. Wait a minute. This means something big, right? If it means something big, it means that every day I'm an ambassador, whether I like it or not. Every day people are looking at me and I'm representing Jesus. I'm there to, I'm there to build relationships. I am there to reconcile every day. There's no playoff, coach. There's no day off, coach. There's no, this is who I am. This is who I am living it out every day. Stephen, what are you saying? I'm saying that, yes, every Twitter post you make, every Facebook post you make, you are an ambassador of God. Am I making any sense, guys? I mean, sometimes I I think people, good-hearted Godly folk, they, they forget who they are, and they forget what Paul has said. They forget their ambassadors, and they go off and say things, do things, even on social circles, and they forget, you know what? Who am I? I'm representing a kingdom much bigger than me. It's not about me, right? I am living a sent life. I've got to be careful what I say, what I do, how I behave, because I represent Jesus wherever I go. What does that mean? It means every day of our lives. Get this with me. This is the challenge, Fred. Every day of our lives, we need to be thinking in the back of our mind, what makes a good ambassador? Somebody who's loyal, somebody who's passionate, somebody who's humble, somebody who's wise, somebody who's a reconciled. That's me. I'm supposed to be a good ambassador wherever I go. And every day, we need to be, we need to be thinking ourselves, how am I telling people my story? How am I building relationships? How am I reconciling people to God? That's who been. If you could get that, listen, church, listen. If you could get that, you just got Paul. You just got what Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was trying to tell those people in Corinth. He said, he was saying this. You are a light in the middle of the darkness. And you've been called to shine. There's no days off. There's no, no, next playoff, coach, please. No. Every day. Hallelujah, church. We've been called to shine. And then, then in, 
in, in, in 6 1, and by the way, some of your outlines broke it off. I don't know it was a printer, I didn't even realize it until this morning. In 6 1, he says this. He says, uh, throw it up there for me, Tom. In, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, As God's co workers, some of your Bibles might translate that co laborers or, or co, you know, we're co workers with God. As God's co workers, we urge you. Who was he talking about? He was talking about him and all the rest of the apostles and the, the leaders of the church. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What he was saying was, listen, you've received God's grace. Now, don't go live some happy, joyful life and hold it all to yourself. Listen, you've been made an ambassador. Go give it away. Go tell the story. Go reconcile people. Don't hold it all to yourself. This verse here grabbed me. Man, when I was studying that, you know what I saw? You know what came to me? It would be like, God, again, sending me to Nicaragua, and I'd be like, yay, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, the price of living's a little bit cheaper, yeah, yeah, and they're going to give me a house, all right, and they're going to give me a car, okay, and the beach is on, yeah, I like that, now, I'm just going to enjoy the ambassador life, and when I get there, I forget, I don't go to my meetings, I don't, I don't go build relationships, I just live the Nicaraguan life, because look what I've been given. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying, you're, you're God's co-worker. You've received God's grace. Don't do it in vain. Now, you've got to go and really be the ambassador. Now, let me tell you, this is not the first time this has ever been shared. Even though this ambassador language might be kind of a new language in, in, in this biblical understanding, this idea, this concept, it's not the first time it's ever been shared. As a matter of fact, Jesus shared this same concept with his, his disciples. Jesus was wanting to help them understand, you've been called to be living a sent life. You've been called to live the invitational life. And let me tell you how he did it. You got your Bible. This is not in your outline anywhere, okay? In your, in your Bible. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to a scripture, a passage together. And I, I just want to invite you to turn with me to Matt, the Gospel of Matthew to uh, turn over to chapter 16. Matthew 16. Now, in Jesus' day and age, he didn't take his people to Corinth. He actually took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And, and we're going to throw a little map on the screen real quickly, okay? Caesarea Philippi. Let me get that map up there. Y'all nod your head that way. I'll know it's up there, all right? Now, Caesarea Philippi was a, a place that was north of the Sea of Galilee. And the first time I went to Israel, I did not know my geography very well at all. You can't even see down below the, the bottom of the River Jordan here, way down there on the south side is Jerusalem. But, you know, I knew where Jerusalem was. I knew where Bethlehem was, the parts on the south off the map. I, I knew where, where Jericho was off the map. And I knew basically where the Sea of Galilee was and kind of everything south of there. Because really, see, there's a, there's a border above the Sea of Galilee that I didn't think we were going to cross. And I didn't even know. I didn't know that part of the map. Well, we went to, this, we went to, we, we went to Israel and we woke up on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did 80% of his ministry right around that little, that big blue portion right there. 80%, it's a beautiful place. 80% of his ministry, and then every once in a while, he went through Samaria, and he went down in Jerusalem. He would do some ministry on the southern part. While I was on this trip, we, one day, this, this place was on the itinerary called Caesarea Philippi. I, I, I didn't even know. I was a preacher, by the way. I didn't even know very much about Caesarea Philippi. So we drove up, and you can see it in red. Look how far we had to drive north, cross over a border, and get into a place called, uh, visit this little place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me give you some pictures of what it looks like today. When we went up there, this is, you, you get off your tour bus, you walk through kind of this 
dirty parking lot. You get through a, you know, you walk down these paths, and you finally come up to a place that's a big cliff overhang and what looks like a big cave, okay? That is Caesarea Philippi. It looks just like that today. Let me just point out a couple of things to you. You can tell how people, see this person kind of walks up to the edge of it and looks off. It's water inside the cave. It's water. And in and, and, and their day, they couldn't find where the water was coming from. It was a pool. And if you jumped down, you couldn't go far enough. And it was dark, but the water was there. It was basically a spring. And if you'll, if you'll look out here, do you see just beyond where these folks are walking right now, there's pools of water? The water would literally come out of the ground, and it would, it would cascade into different pools all around this area. And in their day, uh, in the day of Jesus, this place called Caesarea Philippi was a place of deep paganism. The, the people who lived in that area, they called this cave the cave of the underworld. They thought that this, this place, they had found the place that was almost the brink of the gates of hell, or the place where the underworld was. And so... To, to this very day, people go visit this, but Jesus took his disciples to this place. And, and, and by the way, go to the next picture for me, Tom. Um, off in the distance there, you can see like a, people visiting a little window. Um, if you could really see the fullness of that wall, there were temples that were built along this. And here's what it would have looked like in Jesus' day when he takes his disciples up north, north, north. Where are we going, Jesus? Just keep following me. North, 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 north. They finally get up there. This is what it would have looked like. They built one temple right in front of the cave where they worshiped the god Pan. Now, Pan was this deity that was half goat, half man. He was the god of fertility. And they believed that they were, and they, they would do all kinds of bad things in these temples and in these courts that they built. Every month, they would have a human sacrifice off from the top of there that landed in this court right here at the very bottom. They, they, there was perversion, there was sexuality, there was bad stuff happen, happening in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus comes and he brings his disciples right there. And, and, and scholars will tell you that between twenty-five to 30,000 people were on this site every day. Twenty-five to 30,000 people. And here's this radical rabbi teaching the kingdom of God to these 12 followers. And he takes his disciples up there in Matthew chapter 16. You remember what he does? He sits down with them right in the middle of where this place where they're worshiping Pan and these other idols. And he asks them the question. And I don't have time to read the full scripture, but I, I invite you to look it up. He says, who do the people say that I am? 25,000 or so people and doing all their different stuff there. Who do, who do the people say that I am? One says this, one says that. Another one finally says, you're the Messiah. You remember what Jesus says? He looks at Peter, the one who says it, and he says, Peter, upon you I will build my church. He actually says, upon this rock, get that picture of the rock? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what was he saying? This has been misunderstood. It's been taught wrong from the pulpit. It's been, it's, it's been misunderstood in so many different ways. He was not looking at Peter and saying, Peter, oh, you're such a great guy on you. I'm going to build my church. Oh, my goodness. That was far from the truth, okay? Peter, none of us would want that laid on us, right? He wasn't looking at Peter and saying, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And it wasn't just that I, I thought I was taught for the long time. It was the statement of faith. It was that you are the Messiah. Upon that statement of faith, I will build my church. Listen, it wasn't that either. What he was saying was, listen, when he was saying, I will, on this rock, I will build my church, he was talking about this place 
of brokenness, this place of perversion, this place of the gates of hell. He said, in the darkness, I will build my kingdom. You get that picture? He was saying, even in the the most place of brokenness and perversion and corruption and degradation, it's in that darkness, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He probably didn't even understand what he meant right there. But can I just tell you, can you get it with me? You know, every other world religion, you know what they talk about? How they're going to build the kingdom, how they're going to dominate, how they're going to take over the world. That's what every world religion, what Jesus was saying was, he was saying, I I didn't come for safe religion. I didn't come for, for applause. I came to address the darkness and the brokenness. I came to address the perversion in this world, and I came to build the church of God. I'm not going to do it in safe places. I'm going to do it right on the gate of hell. And when I do it, listen, he wasn't saying, I'm going to build a great structure like what these guys have done. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to send you into that dark place. You know, ever since we started this church, we said, the church ain't about buildings. And I'm glad we finally built a building. But we didn't build a very big building. We didn't build an ornate building. We didn't even care that we built a a beautiful building. We wanted a functional building. That's what we were after. Because the church will never be about buildings. You know what the church is about? The church of Jesus Christ is about sending people of light into the darkness. That's what the church is. And anytime you find somebody who really gets that they are a new creation, made new with God, sent on mission as an ambassador in the world, and they are telling their story wherever God sent them, there you're going to find the church. And I love what Jesus said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Guys, I hope you take confidence from that. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about us when we really understand our destiny and we tell the stories that God's told us to tell. So you're an ambassador. Paul says, listen, you are an ambassador. Now, a couple of questions. I didn't put them in your outline. You might want to write them down or you might just want to think about them with your soul. A couple of questions real quickly. And the first question is this. I talked to you about it last week and I will talk to you about it this week. Is Is your life more like the come and see I'm waiting for people to come, to come and see. Or is your life more like that go to them thing? Because Jesus, listen, he, he was saying, listen, I'm taking you way up here because I want us to go to them, all right? It wasn't the come and see. It was go to them. Last week I talked to you about how, you know, the Christ life, the, the invitation life, the sent life is not like me fishing off my dock and saying, okay, fish, come to me. It's the boat life, going after him, right? It's not like the deer hunter who sits in his stand. It's the life of the quail hunter who goes out and tries to find the quail and get him up. That's the scent life, all right? Is your life more come and see or go to them? I just wonder if you do a real quick heart assessment on yourself. And here's the second question. And then I'm going to invite our instrumentalists to come up because they're going to play music for us this morning. How well are you representing Christ? You know what I just asked you? How good of an ambassador are you? How well are you representing Christ? Let me ask it to you this way. Are you building relationships with people who aren't Christ followers? Are you doing that? Are you reconciling or are you afraid of that tension? You see, 
Good ambassadors cannot be afraid of tension, cannot be afraid of conflict. Good ambassadors are people who are willing to address the tension that people who are not of Christ might have with Christ and say, you know what? Let's see if we can make some headroom here. How good of a representative or an ambassador are you for Christ? Let me just tell you, here's my understanding. Follow me here real quickly. When my life is over and I breathe my last breath, the Bible says that I am going to be immediately with the Lord. Now, when, when I get there, here's what I want him to say. How about you? Think about this for a minute. I don't want him to say, you took it easy. <laughs> you didn't risk it all. I don't want him to say, listen, I sent you there to tell your story, but you didn't tell your story. You kept quiet. You know what I want him to say? <laughs> and may it be so. I want Jesus to look at me, and I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want him to look at me and say, you know what? You represented me well. You understood. No days off. No plays off, coach. Every day, you tried to represent me wherever you went. Every day, you tried to build relationships. Every day, you tried to reconcile people who were far away from me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I didn't send you there to just have a good life. I didn't send you there just to enjoy the beach, enjoy the car, enjoy the house. I sent you there because there were lost people there. And I wanted the church to be there, so I sent you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me tell you what he won't say. He will not say, well done, my good and faithful preacher. He will not say, well done, my good and faithful bishop. He will not say, well done, my good and faithful Coca-Cola truck driver. <laughs> not what he's going to say. You know what he's going to say? The Bible tells me. Marky's going to say, if we've done it, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, the world doesn't laud applaud servants much anymore. Man, watch your TV these days. It's athletes and celebrities and all that jazz. But see, the kingdom of God looks different from the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of God says, this life's going to be over like that. Will we have really gotten that we are servants of the king? You know, last week, I invited you guys to live an invitational life. And I said, hey, why don't you just come and get a little, little coffee invitation? And instead of doing the whole, you know, come to me thing, why don't you actually go out and give this to a coworker and say, hey, I just want to treat you to a little bit of Starbucks and have a little conversation. What you want to talk with me about? It ain't about that. You know, I just want to spend some time with you. I just, I just want to be a friend. That's the invitation of life. And you know what? If you look for the good, look for the need, invite someone to come and see. You just never know what could happen that moment. I invited you guys to invite somebody to go to the movies with you. You know what? Hey, here's the truth of the gospel. Some people are afraid of church. Some people are afraid of God. Some people ain't coming to this church. You know I'm telling the truth. But almost everybody goes to the movies. Have you noticed that? They'll go to the movies with you. So maybe that next door neighbor that you've been waiting to talk to, 
you've been waiting to invite, but you don't know what their response will be, and you're afraid of rejection. Remember what I said last week? Rejection and all that, that ain't your job. Just scatter seed. Maybe this is a way to invite them and you be an ambassador to them. Hey, come go with me to the movies. Build a relationship. Be a reconciler. Maybe they got children. It's fall fest. Maybe it's this, this series. Maybe they'd be interested in that. Listen, we've got these invitations up there to you. And I've invited the band. I, I, don't, I can't even remember what song they're playing this morning. But I've invited the band to play some music while we come and get these invitations. And I'm going to invite you this morning to do what you did last week. But several of you, you couldn't get. They, they were gone too fast. I'm going to invite you to come. Get a coffee. Get a movie brochure. Get a fall fest. Get a series. And then I'm going to invite you to go out and scatter some seeds, okay? Be an ambassador. Be a good, a wise ambassador, a loyal ambassador, a passionate, a humble, reconciling ambassador. And then I'm going to pray over us, okay? Hey, the altar's open. I want to invite you. Come on. Come get some invitations. And, Ben, would you guys sing over us as we come?